sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20 The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Club, please. Thank you, Jesus. Shall we pray? This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground for the Lord is here and where he is is holy
standing in a hall. We are not just standing in a church. We are standing in your very presence. Thank you for being present with us here. Thank you for your word which says where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. Thank you that that scripture is fulfilled in our this, this afternoon. For we have gathered here unto you and you alone. And we have gathered in your name. And because of that, we are confident that your presence is here. Take absolute control, Holy Spirit. Let everything that is not of you be set aside. Breathe into this vessel. And use this vessel to bring life to your people. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. That I don't stand alone, but I stand with you. Thank you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the granting of utterance to a vessel of clay. And thank you for your word that will be glorified. Yes, there are angels here. Yes, we are in your presence. In your presence, darkness is chased out and light is made manifest. Let the entrance of your word bring light. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Please take your seat. Praise the Lord. I, ho I hope uh, your appetite was well whetted for with the DVD. <laughs> and I hope you know that it's not the preacher's fault that the meeting is starting at this time. Amen. Amen. But in everything we give thanks. I just pray that we will learn not to go by African punctuality. Amen. Amen. But we will be changed. Amen. Through and through. Amen. Amen. Well, thank God for the second day of our convention. Daughter. You see, many things in life come sometimes to suggest that we cannot make it as daughters. Sometimes we feel we can't make it because of our domestic duties. How can I rise up to be the woman God wants me to be? How can I fulfill my God-given destiny when I'm surrounded with so much work at home, work with children, and even my husband is a major job. How can I make it? But God, <laughs> God is telling us as women that in spite of all our callings, we can still make it. Amen. Amen. And we have to believe it. Yeah. Apart from that, we also have to take care of the home, take care of husband, take care of child, and take care of ourselves. And that's also a major job. Because in spite of all that we have to do, we are also supposed to not look a mess. We are supposed to look together. And that is also a chore. Amen. Amen. 
when even it comes to childbearing, it is true that the seed comes from the man, but we have to carry it for nine months. And sometimes in the midst of the nine months of courage, so many things can happen. Sometimes when you see blue, you feel like vomiting. When you see green, you want to somersault. When you... And your husband has no such sickness. In fact, he doesn't even know what morning sickness is called before he will get even evening sickness. And in the midst of all that, how can God say that he has a destiny for you he has something in your life that must come forth. How, how can it even be? I'm not surprised that Mary, the mother of Jesus, asked, how can these things be? Knowing that I know no man, I mean, my circumstances and how things are, how can it be? But that's why we have these conventions, because the Lord speaks to us that. It's all the things, our marital challenges and you and I know that in the area of relationship, challenge than the men usually. Because when we go into a relationship, too, we go with all our hearts. And often we don't even leave any for Jesus. We give all to that foolish boy called Johnny. And therefore, when it gets broken, it also gets broken to smith there is bits. You can't even pick it up. And in the midst of it, you cry and say, Lord, Lady Reverend, how can God say I can make it? But you can make it. Amen. 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 In spite of disappointments, sometimes even just physical weakness, you are just exhausted. It's not even that you don't want to do, but you are just exhausted. You know? When we had the UK daughter, you can make it, I... We said we were going to have a camp. And by the way, Bishop says that we should have camps so, peace of God, as from next year, we'll be having daughter camps. Okay. So, in the UK, we started with a pilot project to test the water. So, we had our pyjama night. On the Thursday night, no brothers were allowed, just us. The Friday, we continued with our camp. And the Friday morning, we had a session right into the afternoon and so we were breaking for the evening session so when i said we are now breaking for the evening session the ladies will not get up all the people that will not get up they were still sitting down i said hey i said we are breaking and we'll come back oh we want more oh continue i said you know hmm, i am not the bishop you know everybody's physical abilities are different and I acknowledge that I am a weaker vessel so please get up and go <laughs> the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak so go and come back at six o'clock and then we will continue from there so sometimes it's not even that you don't want to do but your physical body has its own limitations but in the midst of all that God says that you can make it. Amen. 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 Hence the name of our convention, the daughter, you can make it. So when you are overwhelmed, and we are easily overwhelmed, like Bishop says, sometimes we can go on excursions. Something has happened, and we feel that we are on this road of something that has happened. Before we know, we are somewhere else. That's why sometimes when you are crawling at home, you should keep quiet, because once you start, before you know, 
You are at a place you didn't expect to be. You are in Canberra. Actually, you, have, you wanted to be in Sydney. You know? So, in the midst of all the excursions and the, the greater one still lives in us. And he says that we can make it. Amen. Amen. Now, this today, I want to speak to you about fighting the root of bitterness fighting the roots of bitterness. Please turn your Bibles with me. Our key verse today will be from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Amen. Fighting the root of bitterness. Are you there? If you are not there, shout, wait for me. The Bible says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Amen. Amen. The Amplified Version says, exercise foresight and be on the watch to look after one another and to see that no one falls back from and fails to secure God's grace in order that no root of resentment, rancor, bitterness, or hatred shoots forth and causes trouble and bitter torment, and many become contaminated and defiled by it. Amen? Amen? Now, the Bible is saying that we must look diligently. To look diligently is to inspect, to examine, to pay attention to, it means that it is not something that you will detect easily. When the Bible says inspect something, or when you are told to examine something, or to look carefully, it means that just by a casual look, you may not see it. Just by looking at the surface, you may not see it. But you have to look deeply. You have to look with a, a certain eye. You have to look as if you are inspecting something. And then you would see. Therefore, the root of bitterness or bitterness is not something that is always easily seen. And sometimes we may even be in bitterness without knowing. And sometimes we may be in bitterness that we don't agree with the Holy Ghost about. And so the Bible says that look diligently. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. I believe that many of us Christians have failed from the grace of God. Failing from the grace of God is like using a car where your brakes have failed. It's like being on top of a hill, you are coming down and the car brakes have failed. And when it fails like that, 
you are out of control. And it's the car that carries you wherever it wants to. And sometimes it can just take you into a tree because you have failed of the grace of God. Now, we need the grace of God so much. Because the Bible says so much about the grace of that, for by grace we stand. So if you don't have the grace of God, even the ability to stand, you, 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 you won't have it. The Bible says we are saved by grace. So even your salvation will be in jeopardy. The Bible says the God of all grace, after you have suffered a while, may he settle you, strengthen you, and establish you. But when you don't have grace, after you have suffered a while, you will not be strengthened. You will not be established. You will not be perfected. You will just fail. Paul said, I labored more than all the apostles. Because of the grace of God that was upon me, yet not I, but the grace of God. So when you fail of the grace of God, you cannot even labor effectively in the house of God. He said, I went through so many trials, so many temptations. I prayed to God, take this temptation away from me, this uh, uh, messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. And I besought the Lord three times. And then finally, the Lord gave me answer. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, if you fail in the grace of God, in the time when the messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh is sent to you, you will not survive. Because you wouldn't even have sufficient grace to make this journey. So, that is why bitterness is such an evil thing. And that is why it's something that we must fight because we will fail of the grace of God. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. It means I am nothing without the grace of God. And every time he wrote, he said, grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you. And that's why we share the grace when we pray. It is in the Bible. He recognized that one of the most important things was grace. And that is why the devil will attack your life of grace by introducing bitterness into your life. And that is why the book of Hebrew is saying that don't take bitterness lightly. Look diligently. Inspect. See whether it's in your life. Looking diligently. Lest any man. He didn't say or oh, less the lesser Christians, or those who are not so spiritual, or says, less any man. It means that bitterness can come to anybody, no matter your spiritual height, no matter how far you have walked with God, the root of bitterness can attack you, and you can fail of the grace of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So the book of Hebrews says, look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest, in case, in case, just in case, the root of bitterness. Not just bitterness, but the root. The root. The root. Something when you say it has taken root, it means that it is anchored, it is secure, it is strong, and it's not easy to uproot. Less the root of bitterness. The root. And before something, you see, when you plant something, even a seedling, it takes time. 
when the root is coming, before the roots enter the soil properly and become anchored. So it is with bitterness. It starts as a seed. And then as it grows, it gains roots. And when something has a root, it is not easy to uproot, isn't it? So it says that lest the, any root, any root of bitterness, springing up, springing up. Things don't just spring up, they are seeds, but they are hidden. And when it springs up, then it has become a plant. So bitterness grows in stages. First of all, you put the seed, you nurture, you water, you add fertilizer, and then it springs up. The Bible says that when it springs up, by the time it's springing up, it has roots. And when it springs up, the Bible says it will trouble you. It will trouble you. Some of the troubles, or I dare say many of the troubles, stem from a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness. The root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby, by it, many be contaminated, defiled. So not only will it trouble you, when it starts to trouble you, you will start to poison everybody around you. With this same root, anybody you touch, anybody you meet, anybody you share with, anybody you... Before we know, there's a whole section that has been contaminated. It's like an infectious disease with bitterness. And that is why it is something that you and I must not take lightly. We don't have to say, oh, this bitterness, you know, Lady Reverend, it's not something I like, but I don't know why it keeps coming, oh, bitterness. <laughs> now, how does bitterness come into our lives? It's not all bitterness that take root. Depending on how it came and how it is handled, it will depend on, it will show the outcome. So it's not all bitterness that takes root. But what are the things that make bitterness attack us or make us bitter? And how can we deal with it? Hmm. Help us, Jesus. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. Are you there? It's in the Old Testament. Please stop looking in the New Testament. Okay, let's read from verse 6. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? 
So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. Number 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed and said, O Lord, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. Verse 19, now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunk. Verse 15, and Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Amen. Now, Hannah said in verse 10, or the Bible said about Hannah, she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord, and she wept sore. She had come to the house of God all right, but she was not in a good place. There was bitterness in her soul. Now, what had brought about this bitterness is what we read from verse 6. The Bible says Elkanah had two wives. And don't tell me that because Elkanah did it, it was right. It was not. He had a farm and a garden. Elkanah had a wife. The Bible says that his wife was Hannah, and he had another one called Penina. Now, I don't know whether, because Hannah is mentioned first, he probably married Hannah, and then Hannah was not having a child, so he looked for a Penina. And the Bible says that Elkanah loved Hannah and gave her a worthy portion. Now, this is the place where women and men differ. If you love me, why do you go for a Penina? We don't get it. And then they'll still be saying, oh, but you are my wife. You are the one I love. Please, don't confuse us. So then, as if that was not enough, the Bible says that every year, Penina provoked Hannah. Provoked Hannah. So what brings about bitterness? Usually, it starts with provocation. She has an unfortunate situation. She's not happy about it. But by the grace of God, she's coping. But then, a penina will arise in your life who will provoke you. Sometimes it may not even be a human being, but a situation will provoke you. Stir you up in the wrong way. And the Bible says that she provoked Hannah so much that Hannah just kept weeping and she did not even eat. So when bitterness comes, the first step is that you will be provoked. The second step is that you may be emotionally disturbed, like Hannah. You will weep. You will not eat. Some people, too, when they are sad, that's when they eat a lot. Everybody is different. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Then her husband asked her, why do you weep? 
Why don't you eat? Why is your heart grieved? The next thing is that you may be in an emotional state, but it's not always. But the next thing is that you are likely to be grieved. Something has hurt you. There's a certain grief that has entered your heart or your life, and it is not always dealt with. But Elkanah describes the steps. First of all, she's provoked by Penina. And then her emotional response, Elkanah says, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why do you grieve? These are the steps that take us into bitterness. You start to grieve. Amen? Amen. Hmm. And then, am I not better to thee than ten sons? The Bible says that when Hannah, every year she'll be going, every, but when she had had enough. So when that provocation grows from weeping, sometimes you are emotionally disturbed, then you come to grief. And when that grief fills your heart, then you move to verse 10, where you have bitterness of soul. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Bitterness comes almost quietly. So sometimes you'll be tempted to think, I'm dealing with my issues, I'm dealing with my problems. But in the midst of the problems, a root of bitterness is coming your way. And you end up with the bitterness of soul. Amen. Now, this bitterness is a situation that Hannah found herself in that she didn't like. But there was a third party who provoked her and took the thing to another level. And when the thing reached another level, the bitterness entered her soul. And it's the same with us. It will have to start with the provocation. Something you are provoked about. Something that you freak out about. Something that you say, why, how? Something that stirs you up the wrong way. It is just a starting point. But as it goes on and on every year, every month, every summer, every day, every morning, you move from that place to grief. And from grief, you can easily move into the bitterness of soul. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Ruth is after judges. Okay. Verse 20. This is Naomi speaking. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, 
seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. Amen. Bitterness can so take a hold of you that you decide to change your identity. Not because somebody says, oh, change your name. You see, you are called Naomi, but your life is not pleasant, or you don't look pleasant. Naomi means pleasantness. But you yourself are so filled with bitterness that now your identity is the bitterness that you are going through. So Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitterness. Mara means bitterness. So there can come a point in your life where your identity is now the bitterness and not the name that we all know you by. <laughs> that when we see you and relate with you, the only thing we can touch is your bitterness. Your unresolved resentment, hatred, and you are just not... To be bitter means not to be sweet. You are not sweet anymore. You don't have a sweet spirit anymore. You don't have a sweet mind anymore. You don't have a sweet flow anymore. So when we meet you, you don't even have to tell us your name. Your bitterness introduces you. Your bitterness introduces you. And everything that is talked about, we feel your bitterness in it. So call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. Amen. Amen. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Another way in which bitterness enters our lives is bitterness against God. Sometimes you've served God for many years and somebody who does not even know him seems more blessed than you. Sometimes you've believed God for something and somebody who does not even pray or has not even asked him gets what you have been praying for. I once spoke to a sister in one of our churches and she was saying, the Lady Reverend, I've been married for so many years believing God for a child. And I hear people in church when they meet their friends, their friends will say, hey, you are pregnant again. And she overheard a conversation. The person said, how I wept when I found out that I was pregnant. How I wept. It was, it was a mistake. I didn't want it. How I wept. And then sometimes you hear people chatting. And they'll say that, hey, you, are you pregnant? Say, hey, please don't say it. I don't want. I don't want. Please. And she'll be thinking, God, some people don't want and you are giving them. Some of us want. We have fasted and you, we have prayed. And you will not give us. But the people who don't want, you are giving to them. You can easily develop a spirit of bitterness. For Naomi said, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. So bitterness begins when you think that God has not been fair. 
When you think that God has not dealt well with you. When you feel that things should not have been this way. God should have intervened. How come this and how come that and how With bitterness, it doesn't even matter the beginning. But it's the journey. When it is allowed to linger, that is when it takes root. As for bitter experiences, we will all have bitter experiences. For the Bible says, many are the afflictions of a righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Bible says, so long as we are on this earth, there will be seed time and harvest day and night. So there will be some nights in our lives. There's some back. There's a certain type of temptation and trial that can come and make you bitter towards God. And make you feel that God has dealt bitterly with me. Sometimes you look at your marriage, you say, God has dealt bitterly with me. Hmm? When he was sharing a husband, husbands, look at what he gave me. Look at what he gave me. Of all the people in the church, look at what he gave me. When he was sharing wives, sometimes it's not even God's fault. You chose. <laughs> because the Bible says, he will find, not he who God looks for. You find. Amen. Amen. But as human beings, we just have a way of wanting to blame somebody for whatever happens, even if it's our fault. That's why Adam said, it's the woman you gave me. But before then, he had not told God. He was very happy with Eve. But when the evil happened, he said that if you had not given me this woman, this would not happen. And the woman to say, if you had not brought the serpent or allowed him, I was doing very well. Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt bitterly, bitterly with me. It is okay when you feel bitter about something that has come your way. But it is not okay when the bitterness is allowed to remain, to take root, to spring up, and to kill the grace of God in your life. In that instance, then there's something wrong. (laughs) Hallelujah. When the children of Israel were journeying, they came to a place called Mara. The Bible says, The water there was very bitter. And the children of Israel could not drink it. Exodus 15 verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Sometimes you are just going on a journey like the people of Israel. 
and you just come across something. You don't even know that it is bitter water. You just drink it only to discover that it is bitter. So you may drink bitter things. You may have bitter experiences. You may have trials and temptations that make you bitter. But, or that tempt you to be bitter, but it does not develop into a root of bitterness. It is something that you come across. If you like, it's an unpleasant experience. It is a temptation to be bitter, but we don't always yield to all temptations. But the dangerous one is where it takes root. It springs up. It takes a root, and it makes even the grace of God on your life fail. That is the kind of bitterness that you and I dare not live with. Amen. Amen. The Bible says about Mordecai that when the king gave the power to Haman to destroy the Jews, take everything they have, he even gave his signet ring to him, that whatever you do is right, just use my ring to sign it. When the Mordecai heard about it, he rent himself in sackcloth and the Bible says he cried bitterly and he was filled with bitterness. That is an emotional kind of bitterness that we all naturally respond to. When you have a bitter experience, you respond to it naturally. But when the bitterness takes root, then now you have become a dangerous person. And all of us <laughs> must endeavor to avoid you. Because that bitterness can become a part of our lives. And we also don't need that. Hallelujah. Amen. So bitterness, I, I just want to stress the fact that when you have a bitter experience, or you cry bitterly, or something is difficult, it does not mean that you have developed the root of bitterness. Please, do you understand the difference? But you can have the root of bitterness when that bitterness progresses. Amen. Amen. Exodus 1 verse 14. We read that when the Egyptians at a point, their king changed. And he, the king didn't know the children of Israel anymore. So when you read from Exodus 1 verse 30, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, with rigor means difficulty, hardness. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Amen. Difficult situations can breed bitterness. Hardships can breed bitterness. Increase of suffering can breed bitterness. Because when you are going through a hardship, you begin to ask, whose fault is it? Is it not because they sent me on missions? 
that my life is so changed. If you are a missionary wife, you can become bitter with God. You can become bitter with the ministry. You can become bitter with the work of God. You can become bitter against the bishop who is sitting there and sending your husband. The bishop who is sitting there and changing your life. You say, oh, this, this is too difficult. I've lost my comfort zone. I don't have all the friends I had before. I am so lonely. Sometimes you can go on missions as a wife and you can even develop a mental condition. You can behave now like you are not normal anymore. And what brings that about is the hardships. When Satan multiplies the difficulties like the Egyptians, and they increase the brick and the mortar, and they make life difficult, it becomes bitter. A bitter thing to swallow. And then you begin to look for whose fault is it? Whose fault is it that my children are in this country where they don't speak this language? Whose fault is it that we are in a place where the medical facilities are poor? Whose fault is it? The hardships, difficulties create bitterness. When things are fine, don't worry, we'll all be fine. When things are normal, we'll all act normally. But when things become difficult, I always say that if you want to know what is in you, wait till you are squeezed. <laughs> if you have not been squeezed, you will never know what is in you. But when you have been squeezed, pushed to the wall, that is when we really know. So when things are fine in the church and you're always, that's not the real you. When things work your way and you think that Lighthouse is the best thing that happened to you, we don't know you yet. But when difficult times come, when times when you expected the brethren to love you, they didn't love you. You expected them to visit you, they didn't visit you. You expected them to go through your difficulty with you, they didn't even seem to care. What comes out of you? That is when we know the type of person you are. I always say that when relationships are working, when there's no test, I mean, don't go by that. Because it's, it's, it's difficulty that shows where we are. It's difficulty, bitterness. That is what shows what is in us. Many times, you know, when we hear such things, we say, oh, as for me, this thing doesn't apply to me. Oh, bitterness, not at all. Far from me. I mean, no, Lady Reverend, you don't know the type of spirit I have. You know, I'm really... I love the Lord so much. Lady Reverend, don't even go there. But when the mortar and the brick are increased on you, and it becomes very hard, that is when you will know how bitter you can be. How bitter you can be. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Bitterness can also spring up when you have a sour relationship. You go through a failed relationship, a relationship that disappoints you, you develop bitterness. Proverbs chapter 5 is 4. Hmm. Proverbs chapter 5. Are you there? Verse 4. Let's read from verse 3 because sometimes it doesn't make sense to read the preceding verse. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, hmm. sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell, her steps. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of her life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. Amen. The Bible says that when you meet a strange woman at the beginning, her words, her lips, they drop as honey. They are sweet, tantalizing, full of flattery, voluptuous. The lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. And most brothers, you fall by foolish praise and foolish flattery. Oh, you are King Khan. Oh. oh, I've never seen any man like you before. Oh, you are, you are my hero. Oh, if I had not met you, I don't know what my life would have been like. Oh, you are my life. And you are also receiving. Her lips drop as the honeycomb. And her words are smoother than oil. But the Bible says, but her end is bitter. Her end is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. And the Bible says, at the end, the person says, oh, have I have scorned instructions. My body is consumed. My flesh is consumed. So sometimes, people go through a relationship. It starts from the honeycomb stage. It starts from the smooth oil stage. And then they think, that, oh, this is it. And then as they journey on in the relationship, her end is as bitter as wormwood. We all haven't tasted wormwood before. But when I looked up the word bitterness, it also said uh, appropriate, I mean, similar words, wormwood. 
So at the end of that relationship with that strange woman, it is bitter. And therefore, sometimes, people start a relationship from the honeycomb stage. And then when they get to the bitter stage, they are very surprised. And you sometimes may not recover from that bitterness. You may not recover from that brokenheartedness. You may not recover from that change from honeycomb to wormwood. You don't make the journey. Because when you take the business, ah, what type of relationship was this? What was I thinking about when I entered this thing? And therefore, that bitter end affects you. Hmm. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Verse 26. When you see the brothers, you don't know what they are thinking about. <laughs> when you see the sisters, you don't know what they are thinking about. When we finish and we get the wormwood and it's bitter, we say, ah. If you haven't, he has changed so much. She has changed so much. She has not changed. That was how it was. But to entice you, it has to come with honeycomb and smooth oil before. I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, say the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which, my soul, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found. But a woman among all those have I not found. Lord, this only have I found that God has made man upright, but they have sought many inventions. Amen. Who was more skilled in women than Solomon? He had a thousand wives and three thousand concubines. Is it? Something like that. And he has so many things to say. He talks about the strange woman. He says that don't go down her path. It is death. And he is saying that I find more bitter than a woman whose hands are snares and nets and traps and a Solomon. Very, very, very experienced. And he's saying this. And you, when you were in the world, you had only 20. Somebody who has had a thousand is telling you that he finds more bitter than death a woman whose hands are snares and nets. The hand that she's using to touch you is a snare, it's a trap. It's supposed to make you fall. It's supposed to make you not end up well. And he says, when I look at that, I find it more bitter than death. Hmm. And her hands are bound. When you go in it, you can't, you can't uh, break, break away easily. And they are found in the church. And they are found in the church because Jesus said, wheat and tares will grow up together. And when the people reported to Jesus, said, leave them alone. At the time of harvest, we will separate them. 
So sometimes I see things, I say, eh, in the church of God, how can that be? Then the Holy Spirit told me, but I told you that wheat and tear, wheat and tear will go together. I told you that wolves will come among the sheep. So what are, are you talking about? So when you have a relationship, that doesn't go the way you expect it. It becomes more bitter than death. The thought of it. The memory. It becomes more like a bondage. It is nets. It is snares. It is a trap. It's a prison. Their hands are burnt. And when you can't get out of such a situation, you also become bitter. So some people are married, but they are very bitter because they feel that I'm a Christian. I can't really file for divorce. I'm caught in this trap. It's more bitter than death for them. And that bitterness can grow, have a root, and make you fail hmm. of the grace of God. So the kind of relationships we get involved in, I find more bitter than death a woman whose heart and hands are snares and traps and bands. Hmm. As I said, this is Solomon speaking. He has had Queen of Sheba. He has had the, daughters, the daughter of the Shunammite. He has had so many things. Pharaoh's daughter and his experience. He has had concubines. And he's saying that such things exist. And sometimes it's the sisters. It is more bitter than death. And he said that, oh, how I have, I have hated instruction. How I didn't listen to my teachers. Just like I'm teaching you the word this afternoon. You will listen, but some of you will still go and make the same mistake. Get into alliances where it has become snares and nets and bands. A net is like a net that you throw out for sea. It's caught in it. You can't do anything. You can't come out. You can't. You say, Lord, why did you bring me here? He didn't bring you here. You chose it. <laughs> and when we advised you, you thought that something nice, something you love, eh, only you know and only you can see. The pastors, they can't see and they are saying that don't get involved with this person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we even keep quiet because we become bad people. You even go and tell the brother, not knowing the pastor, he doesn't believe you at all. When I told him that you have proposed to me, he said that, no, 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 it's not a good idea. That pastor, that's how he is. He's a, we can't even sometimes say what we have to say. We know that the hands, the hands are nests and nets and bands and snares, but we, we, we are intimidated. We can't tell you the truth. I find more bitter than death. The woman, the woman whose heart, you see the heart is a hidden part of us. You can't see it. The Bible says God judges by the reins of the heart. The Bible says man judges by the outward, but God judges by what is inside. 
And that is why before you make a lifelong decision like that, ask the Holy Spirit, lead me. What is your will? But you are led more by your emotions. You are in love. What you are calling love. Two years down the line, it has become as bitter as wormwood. Failed relationships lead to bitterness. Disappointment in relationships lead to bitterness. Unexpected things lead to bitterness. And sometimes we don't function properly. Jeremiah 31 verse 15. Jeremiah 31 verse 15. Hmm. Help us, Jesus. Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. A voice was heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted. Hallelujah. With Rachel's situation, this verse is quoted when Jesus is born in the book of Matthew. And Herod is looking for the child Jesus. And sends for all baby boys two years and under to be slaughtered. And the Bible says that this prophecy was then fulfilled. That Rachel, weeping for her children, wept bitterly and refused to be comforted. One of the things that leads to the root of bitterness is our refusal to be comforted. Something may happen... It may break your heart. It may disappoint you. But don't refuse to be comforted. There are many tragic things on earth we don't understand. There are many painful things on earth we don't have answers for. But don't refuse comfort. The greatest helper in your work of healing is yourself. And it's your ability to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Rachel, weeping bitterly for her children, refused. Refused. Not that the comfort didn't come. The Holy Ghost would try to comfort you. God will send people to comfort you. God will send a word to comfort you. God will give you a scripture to comfort you. But you can refuse to be comforted. Even in the church... You may have some experience of some sort. We will say we are sorry, but you are refusing to be comforted. True. True. The bitter weeping, you allow it to go on in your heart. We may say, let it go, let's start all over again, but you can refuse to be comforted. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to allow any light into my world. I'm not going to allow it. When, just before I came, Bishop Saki was preaching. He said that, when he lost his wife, at a point, he saw that if he didn't allow himself to be comforted, something bad was going to happen. 
So the comfort will come. People will come and sit around you. People will speak the word, but sometimes it will bounce back because you are refusing to be comforted. You are refusing to be appeased by anything. Rachel, weeping bitterly for her children, refused. Refused to be comforted. Hmm. And bitterness, you see, it's a quiet, insidious thing. It doesn't come with banners, radio adverts, TV adverts. No. It's very quiet, but very profound and very dangerous. And you wouldn't even know that this is where you have reached. Hmm. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Pray that the Lord is speaking to you. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter. Against them. Most of the time when I've seen this verse, I said, ah, they should have written it for the sisters. Oh, does God really think men get bitter? Oh, it's we who get bitter. You know? So I'm always surprised at this verse that God will say, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So I was asking God, what will make a man bitter against his wife? The Holy Ghost said to me, what are the expectations of a man? Because bitterness is resentment, hatred, anger, and unforgiveness that has not been resolved. What will make a man even bear a grudge against his wife? When I was thinking about it, I realized that our brothers are not verbal. Men don't speak much. Wift of speaking and over speaking. <laughs> describing and over describing. When I was a young wife, I used to think that the more words you use to explain, the more your husband will get what you are saying. But as I have grown in my walk with the Lord, by the grace of God, 23 plus years of marriage, I have come to see that it's not how long you talk. It's not how many diagrams you draw to illustrate your problem. In fact, often the less said, the better. That is why the Bible talks about a nagging wife, a contentious woman. And sisters, sometimes it's not that we want to be contentious, but we want to feel that they have heard. I've said it once, they're almost like statues. I've said it twice, you just had a little twitch in your arm. So I have to say three and four to sink, to let the thing sink. And rather, when you say three, four, five, six, you lose them. 
That's the mystery. The Bible says a contentious woman is like the dropping on the roof. To you, you haven't said it much. But to him, you have said it too much. Sometimes I ask God, how can you put two very different things like that together? You know, we are so different. And we process so differently. And sometimes you are surprised that they don't get it. You see, but they generally don't get it. <laughs> sometimes I tell Bishop Saki, I say, Bishop Saki, some of our brothers, they can really be stupid. He says, yes, and some of our sisters too, they can really be devious. But the Bible says, husbands, love your wife. And be not bitter against them. So I realized that because most men are not that verbal, they may be prone to bitterness. Because they don't talk much. They don't explain much. Even in life, when you ask them, how was the program good? How was it fine? My sons behave the same way. And therefore, since I had boys, two boys and two girls, God has shown me that. It's not that the men, they want to be somewhere. That is how they are from the womb. Because when my sons go out, they come and ask them, how was the program? Good. Who was there? Everybody. (laughs) What did they say? They preached. I realized that I'm always trying to get more. So now I'm learning to ask the right questions. But even at a point, maybe when I ask three or four, ah, mommy, ah. They came. It was there, you know? And these are not my husbands. They are my sons. <laughs> but when my daughters go somewhere and they come back, now ask them, how was it? Oh, it was very good. Reverend Oko came. He preached that this. And oh, I even liked his T-shirt. They had written that this. And then the people came to dance. Then after that, the saved people from Adenta also came. And then they, I said, ah. when I talk... <laughs> When I talk to my girls, I get more facts. So, it made me understand the male species more. That is not that they want to be somewhere. They are like that from their mother's womb. Therefore, if my sons or when my sons are going to get married, and God grants me life. I hope to sit down with the wife and tell the wife, you know? There are certain things that you would think that you are coming to correct. I want to tell you that it has been there since birth. So that you don't get frustrated. You don't get frustrated in trying to change. In the beginning, tell you. (laughs) So because they are not verbal, they are likely to hold a lot of things in their hearts. Number two, they are not so demonstrative often. So they won't even show pain, show hurt, but we, we cry easily. How could you do that? Men don't cry that easily, but it doesn't mean they are not broken within. And I think that because they also don't express emotions usually so naturally, they are prime targets for bitterness. 
Because we, you see that we are upset. Sometimes even when we are upset, we just scream. How could you do that? I don't know why we think the pitch of the voice <laughs> will have an effect or fix things. It does not. So the fact that you are doing something all the time, your husband just says one word, I don't like this. So, if he really meant it, he would have said it in 10 sentences. It's not true. It's not true. The fact that he has said it once means he has meditated on it. Before he has come to say it once. But we don't know that. We feel that if you want to say some emphasis, you use more words. Not so. You are more verbal. And then that shows that you mean what you are saying. Say it in different ways. Say it with flowers. Say it with chocolates. So that can make a man bitter. And then some things that are important to them may not be important to us. Bedroom issues are very important to a man. Averagely speaking, bedroom issues are not the priority for a woman, the average woman. There may be differences on the divide, but usually speaking. Now, my husband was telling me that, you see, women, they just shrug off what is important to a man. So, why do you say that? It's because I can see. It's because women are not men. I said, really? Then he asked me. There are some ladies who were married and are not married again. And by the grace of God, God has healed them and they are leading their lives. He said that, do you think that these ladies, they are struggling with sexual thoughts and they are not at all. It's not part of their thinking. And he said that is because they are not men. But men, in the department of bedroom, it is important to them. And for a woman, it's like, ah, but I'm tired. What is the first sleep? Be happy. What is the problem? So without knowing, we brush off what is important to most men. And it comes back to the problem of not being so verbal. They won't sit down at a UN table and discuss with you. So because of that, they are prime targets for bitterness. One of the things that surprised me as I grew up was that even in marriage counseling and even in my own life, I was surprised that men can be so angry when their wives don't bless them in the bedroom. Because I thought, oh, is that a big thing? Why is he so angry? Why are they shouting, slamming the door? They won't talk to the... Ah, a, a, a trivial thing like this. A trivial thing like this. And that is why the Bible says that dwell with us according to knowledge. Because really, a woman's world is there, and a woman has to know that she's not a man. Therefore, you have to step into the shoes of the man and believe what he tells you. That I don't like this. And they say, watch the way you talk to me. Say, how do I talk to you? If you didn't provoke me, will I talk to you? Then you throw your hands away. He doesn't say anything. And you take is not saying anything to mean that all is well. All is not well. All is not well. You know, 
I know some couples in Accra. All is not well, but the man used to fix his wife's car. He still does. He used to buy petrol. He still does. He has to pay the children's fees. He still does. And these are things a woman would look at and say, oh, all is well. All is not well. There was a lady like that. The husband kept saying, I don't like your disrespect. I don't like the way you behave. I don't like, oh, what? This, especially when he's a quiet man. We, we assume that all is well. But all is not well. And as the years went by, it's a true story. One day she came home and the man had moved out. No notice. No, she was very shocked. No, actually, she fell. <laughs> no, these are two stories. She fell. One of them fell. And the man took her to the hospital. And she needed help. So he took her to her mother's house. I think you've heard Bishop preach about it. Took her, these are live people we know. Took her to her mother's house. Visited her every day. Brought all her medication. She would say, oh, I need this dress. She, he would bring it. I need this. He would bring it. But she had said... So when she got well, she said, he said, so when are you coming home? I'm not coming home again. This, he said, oh, really? But he continued to bring the medications, bring the food, bring the children. Bring. So later she saw that uh, she has kept long in her mother's house. <laughs> and there doesn't seem to be any plan for movement. So she asked the guy, so when are you coming to get my things so that we come home? He said, never. She said, what do you mean never? She, he said, oh, because I am not coming to get you. She said, what? What do you mean? I'm coming then. When she got there, he had changed the locks. But he doesn't speak much. He told her, I will never remarry. I will never divorce you. I will never remarry. But the disrespect is enough. Because we can manifest and we think the rope is long forever. Sometimes I say to some of the sisters, you say what? He forgot my wedding anniversary. Oh, you see a man worth his, I say, hey, so you, you don't forget anything. <laughs> In this life, you don't forget anything. How could you, I said that, look, marriage is more important than this. Some of the issues, I said, you know, just overlook it and try, try, it's hard, but try and just flow, it will be, no. No. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. They will not listen. This, that. I said, okay, if you like, put your husband on the stock exchange and see how many people will bid for him. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So sometimes Christian wives take their husbands for granted. Because they fear God. They fear God. They want to obey God. They want to do what God is saying. And sometimes even in ministry, people mistreat their husbands because, no, oh, he doesn't want to divorce. He wants to please God. He loves God. So you mistreat him to a point where he's just a bitter man. That's all he is. He's just a bitter man. And out of the word, you know, he just tries, tries to love you, but you are so impossible to love. Tries to love you, but you are so difficult to love. The harder he tries, the more complex you become. Help us, Jesus. And then everything disintegrates. And then we say, oh, we thought we were Christians. We thought that Christians should make it. We thought that Christians should... Yes. 
But the Bible didn't say you should take advantage of him. When you were in the world and that unbeliever boy used to beat you, you used to straighten up. You used to sit up and do what was right. But now you've got a godly man, you mistreat him. The little that you can do to bless him in the bedroom cry is subject to good behavior. And all these things lead to bitterness in a man. And that's why Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter. Bitter. Bitter against them. The Holy Ghost, he knew us before we arrived on this planet. He knew, he knew our difficulties before. You see, when I was young, I used to think that well, men cause more marital problems, and it's true. <laughs> because it's a man who will go and take another woman, problems, and men cause more marital problems. But as I've grown up, I've seen that women too contribute to their quota. <laughs> I've been to homes where women have refused to cook for their husbands or to mm. give them any food. Mm. Some years ago, I went to a house and the lady said, I have eaten, but there's no food for him. <laughs> and she was in my ministry. I was ashamed to say. She was a woman with direction. But when I went to her house, there was no direction there. I asked her, why do you do this? Because he promised to change the stove. He has not changed it. Eh, we are still using this two banner. So if he's not changing it, then well, no food for him. <laughs> so I cook just enough for myself. Until he brings a four banner, it's not happening. What verse is that? Sometimes the person will beg. Sometimes the person will say, oh, sorry, it's true, I should have bought the banner. I'm not saying the other person is so innocent. But I'm saying that, what is it that will make the Bible tell the men not to be bitter against us? What are the things we do? What are the things we do? I have learned not to take my husband's words for granted. Because he doesn't speak much, but his words are very heavy. When he... <laughs> but he doesn't, he doesn't talk a lot. But I have learned that when he says, I don't like this, it's true. So I don't push. And he tells me that some women want to push to see what's behind the door. So when the husband says, I don't like it, oh, you like it. <laughs> I'm not amused with it. Oh, you are amused. You're amused. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter. There's a lot of bitterness in marriages. There's a lot of bitterness from husbands. And as an attorney, even in law school, when we were doing criminal cases, at least in Ghana, there are different defenses for murder. One of them is provocation. And when we did provocation, so if somebody kills, you can bring a defense that he was so provoked that he was out of control and he did something. 
you have to prove it and all that. But that should show you that the person didn't have the intention. But with most of the provocation, so then they say, okay, so what are the things that provoke people under the provocation? We list what are the things the law will uphold that provoke people. One of the things was sexual infidelity. Now, every time it was committed against a woman, she didn't kill. But every time it was committed against men, they killed. And our lecturer said that men can't handle it when they see it live. All the cases, when they see it live, they just kill. When a woman sees it live, she'll cry, run out of the room, or fight with words, but a man would kill. And that taught me that there are different things that provoke different people. A woman is provoked, but her provocation is more towards hurt, brokenness, disappointment. But the men killed. So all the cases of provocation for the men was killing due to infidelity. Most of the cases were like that. And if you killed, not that you came to see, and then you went and you went to plan, but spontaneously they just kill. If you go and go and plan, then it's premeditated, then it's not manslaughter, you had an intention. But I'm saying that to say that we are not all provoked by the same thing. So when the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, and be not, it didn't just say love your wives like Ephesians 5.22, but it says, and be not bitter against them. So bitterness applies to men also. And I think that when brothers walk in bitterness, they also fail of the grace of God. That is why Peter comes to say that dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor as unto the weaker vessel. He, because you are heirs together of the grace of life. And then he says one thing. He says that your prayers may not be hindered. And I think that when you fail of the grace of God, your prayers will also be hindered. So God speaks to brothers as well that, look, bitterness is something you should not allow. And he has to address it because it is difficult to see it in a man. Or, to, or difficult to even imagine that men can be bitter. But they can. Because speaking is healthy. Me, I'm glad I'm a woman. I'm so glad I'm verbal. I'm so glad I can express what I mean. And I'm so glad by the grace of God that I did law so I can use the appropriate words. <laughs> so I said, your words are very precise. I said, Bishop Saki, I meditate on them before I use them because I don't want to say a lot. Amen. Amen. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Bitterness is not really only towards your wife, but it's to bring you to the place where you will fail of the grace of God. And sometimes, even when you can't talk to your wife about it, talk to the pastor. Let somebody into your life that can also speak. Amen. Amen. And also when the wives are called and you are spoken to, don't say, if you didn't do this, I will not do this. If you didn't, just own your part of the problem and solve your part and leave the rest to him right. and to his God. Right. 
Even if yours is 1%. But what happens is people come in for counseling and they are not looking for how they can own their part. They are looking for what is wrong with the other party. So sometimes the other party may be wrong 99%, but you take your 1% and allow God to work on it for you. And then God is able to turn the other party around and make things beautiful in his time. Amen. There can also be bitterness in the church. Amen. Now, do you know Habakkuk? Hmm? Okay, Habakkuk 1 verse 6. This talks about bitterness of a nation or a group of people, the, chi- the Chaldeans. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bis- bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Amen. This was a sort of judgment that God was bringing. But he was going to raise the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. People who are bitter are destructive. And God was going to raise such a nation to use them to punish his people. They will possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. That is how a bitter army behaves. So when you allow bitterness into your place, into your life, into anything, they take over your dwelling places. Amen? Amen. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgments and their dignity proceed themselves. They come with violence and so many things. But if a nation can be bitter, a bitter and hasty nation, like the Chaldeans, then a church, I mean, I'm saying that bitterness can be collective. It's not always a husband. It's not always just you. It's not always a group of people can be bitter, like the nation of the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. Amen? Amen. In the same way, the church of God can be bitter. Sometimes you meet a church, and because their pastor doesn't flow with this, they are bitter against the person. Amen? And then there can be bitterness even within a church. Why do I say that? Because Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, and he said that they should not let bitterness and rancor be amongst them. Amen. Ephesians 4.31. Ephesians 
When Paul first wrote this letter, he said that he addressed it to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. The church in Ephesus and to the faithful, the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And then in chapter 4 of writing to these saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus, he says, 31, sorry, verse 31. He says that, where am I? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, yeah. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Amen. My point is that when you read Ephesians 1, verse 1, the Bible says that Paul an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. How come in chapter 4, he comes to say that, let all bitterness and clamor and this be put away from you. So you may be a saint, like the people in the Ephesian church. You may be a faithful saint, faithful brethren in the church, but you still have bitterness. And the Holy Spirit brings out the truth. He says, yes, you are the efficient church. Yes, you are saints. You are faithful brethren and all, but let all bitterness, clamor, clamor is noise, strife, riot, let it be put away from you. Why would he say put it away if it's not in our midst? You will have many opportunities in the church to be bitter. You have many dis disappointments. People will rub you the wrong way. I always say it. If I was following offense, I would not be in the church today. If I was following injustice, I would not be in the church today. When I was, when the church was starting, I was a founding member of the church. When I came to church, they were very happy because they were already five. So when I came, it means they are six. <laughs> they treasured my presence like an egg. And I think by the grace of God that I gave what I could to the church to make it what it became. We scrapped floors. We swept we put curtains, even Bishop Addy's wedding. Bishop and I, we scrubbed the floor, arranged the chairs, put curtains. Because at our wedding, the church did not scrub the floor. The chairs were dirty when we arrived. And our parents were looking at us and we told you that this type of church, we don't believe in it. Look at what. And it was a very painful experience for me. For that Sunday, I thought, oh, so even to wipe the floor and arrange the chairs, they couldn't do. They have embarrassed us like this. That was maybe offense number 200 by then. <laughs> but we used to do all that. And then I'll do announcements. They asked me to do so many things. Announcements, remember the poor. The church was small. So I was able to even counsel everybody. Remember the poor first timers, give drinks. I've done all that. 
Then, as a church grew, the Lord blessed us, gave us other facilities. We moved out, we went to the canteen, we moved from the canteen, went to the Kodesh, and then they said, they were coming to ordain lady pastors. So, we were put in the preparation, whatever, for ordination. And then some people came to me and said, ah, Sister Mami, you've been here since the founding of this church. They never made you reverend. Today, too, that they are making you reverend. They have added so many ladies to you. How do you feel? I said, uh, it hasn't occurred to me. Oh, it's not right. Even do you remember the ordination of this church? They mentioned the church. When we went, the pastor's wife was the only lady ordained. At least they should have made that distinction. Oh, these little, little girls. You were in the church before them. I realized that it was true. So I said, you know, they are saying something. It's true, you know. But before then even, when the church started to have shepherds, I had labored in the church, but they hadn't created shepherds. And then when I became a shepherd, they did a shepherds, whatever, for all the people. They had lady shepherds from medical school, Lady Pastor Louisa, Lady Pastor Bidia, people that I had nurtured became shepherds with me on the same day. The same for ordination. It was just before the ceremony that they said, that, oh, no, I think at least we should have the first lady's service first. It was during the ordination. We should have the first lady's, at least we should ordain her first, even if it's the same ceremony. At least we should ordain her first, and then we ordain the others. It was just a brainwave that came at that time. <laughs> Today, I may be called Lady Reverend, but there are so many Lady Reverends in the church. So I was telling my husband that I shared this story in one of our churches, and the people were so amazed. I was telling him on the phone. And I said, I told them that Lady Pastor Erica, when she was in school, I used to give her money to do her hair. Oh, go and do your hair. Why is your hair so messy? Oh, this, today she and I, we are Lady Reverends, and we sit together. <laughs> Then my husband laughed on the phone. He said, huh? Oh, so Erica is a lady. He doesn't even know. <laughs> oh, so Erica is a lady reverend with you. He, he doesn't even, he's not even aware. But all these things are things you can meditate on and be offended about. And you can feel unappreciated and that some injustice has been done you. And sometimes the injustice is real. It's not that it's not real. It's real. It's not imagined. It's happening to you live. And you are in the church. And not only that, sometimes you see the younger ones who came after you. Because they have the same title with you, they also develop some. But we know women, we have our way. So you look at all that and you are tempted to also freak out that what? What do you mean? Where were you 
when there were five members in the church, where were you? And where were you when member number six was so precious to the church? But that's why I always say, that's why I preach the sermons I preach. Guard your heart. The godly woman. Walk in the word. Don't be led by your feelings. Trust God. God is faithful. There are roads I have walked on. So if you are talking about offense in the church, that the ordination, they didn't remember you. You've done the exam, they haven't made you a lady pastor. Let me encourage you. Sometimes I think that God allows me to go through the things I go through just so that I can comfort others. That's what I do. Hallelujah. So when I go to places, eh, why is this our geo? Why is this our head? We were here before. I said, hey. Let me tell you something. This road, I have walked on it. And I am not still here because I've, had, I've not had the opportunity to be bitter. And I'm not still here because I'm stoned and I don't feel anything. No. There's nothing like that. I am not still here because the church of God has not made me cry. But I'm still here because, first of all, the grace of God has been abandoned. And secondly, that's why I preach the message, open my eyes. God opens my eyes to things and I, I, God tells me, are you called because of titles? I have to answer and say, no. So what is your mandate? I said, God, you've sent me to preach the gospel. Is there any hindrance to that? No, Lord, there's no hindrance. Therefore, that's your mandate. Concentrate on your race. Run it. Run the race. Because when you stand before God, it's not whether, when were you ordained? When were you this? When were you that? That's not what, but did you accomplish your mandate? That's what God will ask you. Did you accomplish your mandate that I gave you? And my mandate has not been diminished by being lady reverend with those of you who just came. <laughs> there are times when things are going on in the church and I have been forgotten. They've forgotten to call me or they've forgotten that I have a role or they've forgotten that whatever. I don't even know that that's what's going on. I'll meet somebody and say, oh, they are doing this service. Ah, really? I didn't know. As for the opportunity to be offended, you will have a lot of it. Yeah. And when, when the offense is untreated, you move into bitterness. Yeah. But the ultimate aim of Satan is so that you will fail of the grace of God. But you don't see it. You are easily deceived. Any trap, you fall into it. And do you know why? Because we are not spiritual. We are not spiritual. The spiritual man judges all things, yet he himself is not judged. But we don't judge things spiritual. We judge things by our emotions, how we feel, what people would think, public opinion, how my I've been diminished in the eyes of men. What are men? What are men? What are men? Who saith a thing and it comes to pass when the Lord has not decreed it? 
Promotion comes from God. It does not come from the east nor the west. It comes from God. Have you not seen that many people have been forgotten? When it came to anoint David, he was not there. And they didn't even realize that he wasn't there. And even Samuel thought, I found my king already. It was God who came and said, no, don't sit down till you go and bring that guy from the wilderness, from the backside. So if God says he's going to use you for something, nobody can stand and destroy it. But because you are not spiritually minded, bitterness gets into you easily. That's why Paul says, put away all malice, clamor, and bitterness. Put it away. If you are talking about offense in the church, if I open my diary, I don't know if I've told you the story when I decided to come full time and I was told that there's no office for me. I said, hey, a church you have helped to build, they said there's no office for you. I asked my husband, he said, oh, mommy, there's no, if it were, there were office space, we would have created it for you. There's no office. So, I used to come to the church and then they gave me something to lecture. First of all, it's a long story, but I was sent to the nursery school that broke my heart because I wanted to do something spiritual. And I had started the nursery school, but I didn't want that to be my full time. I wanted to do something spiritual. I felt that I was coming because I wanted to answer God's call on my life. Not to be in a nursery school where the children are pulling my skirt. And, <laughs> and remember that I'm coming from an attorney's office. I'm used to being in my own office. I'm used to having a string of secretaries. I just ring the bell and they come. Say, type this, bring this, do this. Then I, I, I had already started the nursery school, so I was washing the nappies anyway because they didn't have enough staff. But to continue there when I've given my life to full-time ministry, I was heartbroken. And I was explaining to my husband that it's not even the work, but when I go to the nursery school, I feel detached from the main church. So give me something to do in the main church, like in the Bible school, something. Oh, okay, the Bible school. Well, I don't know, but you have to go and see the dean. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I went to see the dean. The dean, when I was in sixth form, she was in about form one. And I had been in the church many years before this dean. And she was now going to decide what subject to give me. It was not easy. So I went to her and I said, well, I hear I should discuss with you which lectures you, whatever. And I told my husband specifically that I would like to lecture in something spiritual because they have different subjects. Later, the dean called and said, oh, we've come up with something we think you can help us with. I said, what? He said, oh, English. <laughs> English and church history. It broke my heart. And I explained to my husband, that's not what I said. That's not, mommy, please, they've done their curriculum. Wow. I was shocked. And I thought, hey, when I have put away my profession to come and serve the Lord full time, instead of you feeling very privileged, look how you are behaving. 
But that drove me to my closet in tears. And it was then that the Lord gave me that message that there's now no one he has called who has not been through a wilderness experience. And I said, God, like who? He said, oh, like Moses. I told him he would lead my people out, but he found himself with a few sheep at the backside of the wilderness. Usually, what you are doing does not seem to match up with your calling. They look very different. He said, look at the apostles. They were serving bread, doing this. It was when I died and resurrected that they came into what really I'd called them to do. But all those little steps made them what they became. I said, wow. All these things I've preached. Why? Because I've walked on that road. And then, later I saw that they were doing, some carpenters had come. They were doing something, painting somewhere. After a while, and I said, what's happening here? The place where they said there's no office for me. So, Pastor Big Daddy is coming full time and we are creating an office for him. I said, wow. People are very fair in this church. But by the grace of God, I've always learned to solve my problem in the closet. I talk to God. So I went to God. I said, God, they've mistreated me so much. Look, they are now making an office for Pastor Big Daddy. How many years after me did he come? The Holy Spirit said to me, who called you? So I had to think about it. I said, did your husband call you? I said, at all. Who called you? I said, Lord, you called me. If I called you, then what's your problem? If they give office, they are doing this. What is your problem? Are you... Are you bent on pleasing me or looking at the circumstances around you? I said, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. Anything. You can use me. So now people come to the quotation. Your office is very lovely. Your office is very nice. Ah, it's been a road. It's been a journey. And one day we went for a full-timers camp. And on our way, or just before, my husband asked me, so what do you think? If you were to give one key for full-timers, what would you say is your key? And I said, a personal conviction that God called you. Really, why? I said, because if you don't have it, you will resign, buddy. You will back out, man. So why do they treat me like that? Do they know where I come from? Do they know my qualification? Forget it. And even my father had made me a chambers. Ah. Air conditioned, carpeted. It is there up to today. I come, you say, I don't have an office. My father has an office for me. Carpeted and air conditioned. I don't need this. I'm going to my father. And that's how some of you behave when the church freaks you out. I'm going to my this. And then you botch... You botch God's plan for your life. So when I said that, then we went for the full-time come. He said, really, why do you say that? I said that because if you know that it's God who called you, you hang in there. Through all the changing scenes of life, you hang in there. He said, really, like what? I said, like you people, all your misbehavior. <laughs> you hang in there. So we went for the camp. And then... He said, I would like my wife to speak about 
to speak briefly about what she thinks keeps you in full-time ministry. It was, I think, the first Fisher's campus. So I came, and then they asked me, and I talked, and I said, hmm, if it were not by the grace of God, I would have resigned. Then Bishop Saki said, oh, you are always resigning. <laughs> Forgive us. Stop saying this part. Forgive us. Stop, stop saying this part. You will always have the opportunity to walk in bitterness, especially when you are in the body of Christ. So many things will be done that should not be done. And some Christians think that when the thing is not right, then I must not suffer for it. But it's not true. Peter said, even when you suffer for doing what is right, blessed are you. When you suffer for doing what is right, Blessed are you. And he says that you have been called here unto that you may inherit a blessing. The reason why that thing is happening to you is so that you may inherit a blessing. I don't think that I would have been here today if I had resigned those many years ago. Out of anger, frustration, what do they think? Mistreatment, injustice, this. Look. Bishop always says that our wedding, we invited people, they didn't turn up, our own church members. He said, Bishop Sam, I've forgiven him otherwise. <laughs> so the mistake people make is that they feel that leadership does not get offended. Leadership does not get hurt. And leadership does not get mistreated, but you do. So much. If you have 1,200 branches, multiply by 1,200. And you, your small branch, you can't handle it. Less the root of bitterness springing up from among you, trouble you, and defile others. What happens is when you are hurt, people start to ask you, why were you ordained with this? That's how they are. That's how they are. Can you believe it? After having joined the church for so long, then the next person goes away. Oh, these people are really mean and cruel. And then you meet your friend or your husband and say, do you know? They did this to Sister Mami and this. So next time when you have your trial, you also remember, yeah, that's how they are. Then the contamination goes. And before we know, our church is over. And Satan's main aim is not the injustice, but is to kill your core, to kill you. Because the Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But we don't believe. And that's Satan's mandate. But it is. And he never shows you the end from the beginning. Never. He just leads you on. And then your root is growing. It's getting deeper. And before you know, every single grace of God upon your life, you are filled from it. He said, my life is not going well. Lady Reverend, I'm not. Check your life of bitterness. Check your root of bitterness. Because the root of bitterness makes the grace of God feel. You can't say like Paul that, oh, I labored more effectively because of the grace of God. Oh, I am what I am because of the grace of God. God said his grace is sufficient. for You can't avail yourself of any of that grace because the root of bitterness has made you feel of the grace of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Turn to the person next to you and say, expect bitterness. But don't let it take root in you. Okay, Lady Reverend, you've talked about bitterness. How do we solve? 
How do we solve and overcome bitterness? James chapter 3 verse 11. James chapter 3 verse 11. Hmm. That's a fountain sent forth at the same place, sweet water and bitter. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine fix? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, that is behavior, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Amen. Amen. Another version says, does a fountain bring forth at the same time, in fact, it's King James, sweet water and bitter. So you can't be sweet and bitter. And usually you will start out with a sweet spirit. But as soon as bitterness comes in, your whole fountain is contaminated. And even your sweetness is overtaken by bitterness. That's why the, the Bible says, can a fountain bring forth both sweet water and bitter? It cannot. Can a fig tree bring forth something else? No. So it's saying that when you allow bitterness or you sow it as a seed, you will yield its roots. Bitterness will come up. It will have a root and it will, it will give you abundant harvest. But the harvest will be bitterness. Amen. And it says that if you are wise and endued with the wisdom, show it out of your behavior. Verse 14, if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, it is something that is in our hearts. It's not seen. So you may be smiling. When the person greets you, you say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Or you may be like that husband who buys petrol, takes her to the hospital. You do everything, but there's bitter envy and strife in your heart. In your heart. In your heart. It starts with the mind, your emotions, whatever. But before you know, it has taken root in your heart. It says if there's bitter envy. You see, there's envy, but bitter envy is another level. And strife in your heart. What does it say? Glory not. Glory not. Glory not. Amen. Amen. Glory not. Sometimes we feel good about our bitterness. And we feel good because we feel justified. Like what I was telling you, you feel that you have been genuinely mistreated. It is genuinely not fair. And they genuinely should not have done that. That boy should genuinely not have lied to you. That boy should genuinely not have broken his relationship with you. I am right. I am. So you glory. Glory not. And then number two, you lie against the truth. It's bitterness. You say, it's not that. It's bitterness. You say, 
Oh, Lady Reverend, me, I'm not that type. It's bitterness. The truth is there, but you lie against the truth. You don't accept it. And that's why we are so difficult to deal with. It's so difficult for God to change us because we don't agree to anything. When he says we are like this, we say, Lord, we are arguments. Even David, he took Bathsheba clearly. But when Nathan came, he has to use a parable before you see that it's you. Because when we put it directly that you did this, you took somebody's wife, this is you will say that. How dare you talk to me like that? Are you not just a prophet? Move out. I'm a king. This, so we can't come to you like that. We have to put it in a, a parable. That a man was there, and then a rich man, he had so many of this, and then the poor man had only one ewe lamb, and then the rich man came for the ewe lamb and used it to cook. And then you, because you think it's not you, your judgment is swift. What? The person must die. He's not fit to live. And number two, it must be returned fourfold. What? Call that person who did that. And then Nathan says, that person is you. It's only through parables that we can get you to know that it's you. Because naturally, we don't own up to anything. Naturally. Sometimes we even own up to God, but we will not own up to a human being. That's how we are. So, Lady Reverend, do you think I'll complain? If what I was saying was not true, would I not say? That's the mistake we make. That if it's true, then you can misbehave. If it's true, you can talk anyhow. Some of us, as churches are being built and pastors are struggling to have sheep, we too, with our mouths, we are bringing it down. <laughs> as the sheep are being gathered, because you feel you are so right, you are saying so many things that are making the sheep go another way. If there be bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. And he's showing you that, look, you are bitter against your mother. You are bitter against your father. You are bitter against your boyfriend. You are bitter against your husband. You are bitter against your pastor. You are bitter against your Christian says, It's not true. It's not true. You are lying against the truth. One of the cardinal ways of overcoming bitterness is not to glory. And number two, not to lie against the truth. It's humbling to say that that's me. It's humbling to say, Lord, you need to work on me. It's humbling to say, Lord, it's true. Because of bitterness, I speak yabby, 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 yabby around, destroying and sending wrong signals around the church. I do it because I'm bitter. Lie not against the truth. Amen. We are still on James chapter 3. <laughs> Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. I want you to know that when you glory against the truth, and when you glory and you lie against the truth, it looks like you are being wise. When you say, but it's true, Lady Reverend, it's true that it happened. And it's true that the pastor mistreated me. And it's true that my wife didn't do right. It's all true, yes. But it is earthly wisdom. And the Bible says this kind of wisdom is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Earthly because it relates to things here, not things in heaven. Sensual because it's about your senses, what you see, what you taste, what you feel. You can't use that to live. 
You need some supernatural realm to live in. You can't always live by how you feel, your five senses. Or if you like six, you need a sixth sense, which is the Holy Spirit. It's sensual. Because you, I felt it, I tasted it, I smelt it. Huh? What else? I heard it, I saw it. It may all be true, but it is sensual wisdom. Devilish. That's the wisdom from the earth. But it says that if you want to overcome bitterness, walk in divine wisdom. And it says, this, the wisdom that is from above, verse 17, is first pure, then peaceable. Pure. Most of the time, bitterness will lead to impure thoughts. You begin to think badly about people, begin to be suspicious, you begin to hold meetings you should not hold, discussions you should not have, all sorts of funny things. Peaceable. Easy to be entreated. Can we say sorry and you will accept it? And even if we don't say sorry, will you still flow? Amen? Amen. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. The wisdom that is from above can overcome bitterness. Full of mercy. Mercy means the person did it, but God decided to overlook it. Mercy, thinks, mercy says you did it, but I overlooked it. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. There's judgment, you are guilty, but mercy just jumps over it. So look, I'll just be merciful to you. You need that from God, other people also need it from you. And good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Amen. So when you walk in a certain form of divine wisdom, you will be able to overcome bitterness. Amen. Amen. One thing also that we have read already that Paul said in Ephesians 4.31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and malice be put away. So you decide to put it away. Yeah. It's also another way of dealing with bitterness. By just, Reverend, I don't want this. God, I don't want this. You just put it away. That is also another way of overcoming bitterness. Amen. Because bitterness can cause us to die. And when we look at the people who had stains with bitterness, like Hannah, how did she overcome her bitterness? She decided to pour her bitterness out at the throne of mercy. She came to the throne of grace. And she said, out of the abundance of my complaint, have I spoken? The Bible says she was in bitterness of soul. But instead of letting the bitterness go around and contaminate others, she decided to pour it out in the presence of God. Another way of dealing with bitterness is going into your closet and pouring it out. And that is when you have acknowledged that it's there. And you have acknowledged that it's the truth. And you are not lying against the truth. Then you can go to the closet and say, Lord, I'm in bitterness of soul. It's so hard. But talk to me. I want you to heal me. I want you to make me whole. Something is wrong. And not only have I let the root of bitterness trouble me, I've defiled so many people. Lord, I'm sorry. And I want to deal with it. When I've had opportunities for bitterness, like I told you, it is in the closet that the Holy Spirit has come through for me. My closet 
I don't have the attitude of pleasing anybody. I am myself. If I want to weep, I weep. If I want to lie down, I lie down. If I want to put my legs up on a settee, I put my legs up on a settee. If I want to kneel down, I kneel down. If I want to insult you, I insult you in the closet. Lord, she is such a foolish girl. Lord, she's so wicked. Lord, she's a strange woman. So that you can't tell your husband, but you can tell God. Lord, she worries me. She really worries me. You pour it all out. You are not in a hurry. Then after that, you lift your hands and say, But thou, Lord, add a shield about me. My glory. And the lifter up. The lifter up of my head. You can give me glory. In the midst of all that I think and feel, you can give me glory. Hannah brought her bitter soul to the house of God. You and I are the temple of the living God. We can carry the temple anywhere. What a blessing. But we never make time to spew out that bitterness. So it stays within us. Rachel refused to be comforted. Another way of overcoming bitterness is to accept comfort from others and from the Holy Spirit. Allow your wounds to heal. We bring comfort in many ways. God sends us with many messages, but you don't allow yourself to be healed. You are like Rachel. You refuse to be comforted. But allow God. Why would he send the Holy Ghost as a comforter? Because he knew that sometimes you need comfort. Amen. Amen. So when Paul said that God comforted us with the coming of Titus, sometimes he just sent somebody to bring you comfort. This thing that they've done, I will never forget. You will forget. You will forget. This thing that they've done, I will never do this. You are refusing to be comforted. And open the doors and let the comfort of the Holy Spirit come through. With the Israelites, when they got to the bitter waters of Marah, God showed Moses a tree that he broke and put into the water. And the waters were healed of their bitterness. Divine guidance will help you overcome bitterness. You may not always know how to treat the bitter waters of your life. But divine guidance. And that is why one of my favorite prayer topics is you know, the Bible says, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Psalm 37, verse 4. So I come and I say, Lord, your word says, I should commit my way unto you. I should trust in you, and you will bring it to pass. I commit my way. And Lord, at this moment that I'm praying, one of my major ways is this thing that I'm wrestling with. I commit it to your hands. He will give you divine guidance. It's not always you come, oh, thus saith the Lord. Even in his word, he has given you many, many types of guidance. You don't take it. You are looking for an angel from heaven. When God has given you his divine word, first of all, you will not walk by it. And sometimes he will just even guide your paths. So for them to even have a Moses who God directed that break it, put it in the water, 
It's for the healing of the nations. It's for the healing of the waters. And the waters were healed. Otherwise, they didn't know how they were going to turn the bitter water into what it has to be. And like Naomi, Naomi said, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And she said, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. But God brought restoration to Naomi through Ruth. Sometimes God can use people to heal the bitterness in your life. God can also create a miracle by allowing Ruth to meet Boaz, who gave birth to Obed, so that at the end, Naomi said, she's better to me than seven sons. God is still in the business of miracles. And sometimes you can just ask him for him. When something is beyond you, say, do a miracle because it's not in my strength. I can't. The Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. And it's the root of bitterness that has come into the church of God. And nowadays, congregations just divide. They divide. They divide. Because so many unresolved issues remain. Unresolved issues remain even in marriages. Unresolved. And therefore, it kicks up and becomes bitterness. But God can give us a miracle beyond our strength. He's a miracle working God. We are too used to doing things in our strength. We need to come to the place where we say, Lord, I'm depending on you. I don't have any strength of mine. I'm just depending on you. Some of us don't function well even in our marriages because of a bitterness from previous relationships. So this your new husband, he has not done anything, but when he does something, he reminds you of foolish Mark. Stupid Matthew and jumping Jonathan. Because the root of bitterness was never uprooted. That I pray that healing will come from the presence of God. And some of us are bitter against God himself. Like Naomi, we say the Lord has dealt bitterly with me for unanswered prayers, for hopes of things we have not seen. But God is sovereign. We don't have answers to everything. The Bible says we see through a glass dimly. We only see face to face when we meet him. But before we meet him, we must encourage ourselves in the Lord. And in his own good time, he will make all things beautiful. Stand to your feet, please. I want us to pray. Sometimes you may not experience the root of bitterness now. But it may be something that is ahead. Sometimes a message may not relate to you now, but God may prepare you for what lies ahead. The Bible says, lie not against the truth. I want us to pray.
close our eyes and ask God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Cleanse me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that the spirit of bitterness will not have any room in you. Pray that you will not be deceived when it comes, but you will see it as it is. Pray that it will not overcome you. And pray that the Holy Spirit will search you because we don't always see what is within us. It takes God to search us and to bring things out that we don't know about. Search me, oh God, and know my heart today. Try me, oh Lord, and know my thoughts. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Hewitt Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kanishi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Hewitt Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.